The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. It is a good week. Christmas is next week. I'm excited. I I love this time of year so much. I, I work a lot with education clients in addition to my entertainment law practice. And so when we get to the holiday season, a lot of my client work calms down. And it's a nice time to relax and take a breath and just appreciate the things we have. And I just, I love Christmas. I love the holidays, uh, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, all of them. I'm just, it's a great time of year. I am, I'm happy. I'm in a great, great mood and I'm, I'm, I'm excited for Christmas presents. I'll say it. What? Just because I'm 32, I'm not allowed to be excited for Christmas presents anymore. I totally am. Although I have now, now that I've hit my thirties, I find that I have reached the age where I am spending a lot more on gifts that I am getting back in gifts. I think that's an important sign of adulthood. I think it happens somewhere around 26, 27, where Christmas becomes a net negative in terms of the gift giving. Uh, There's more value going out than coming in because you get older. There's more nephews and nieces and young people and coworkers that are rolling around and you're making more money. So you, you're winding up spending a lot more money on Christmas presents than you're getting back. But I'm, I'm not complaining. I, I am, I'm happy because I, I have, I've heard my wife has dropped some hints. I know I'm not, you're not supposed to know what you get for Christmas, but I know what I'm going to get for Christmas. My wife has dropped enough hints to know that come December 25th, I'll be opening a box of which the contents inside will be a Nintendo Switch. And so uh, that applause is for my wife. Thank you, wife. I'm very, very excited. My wife, not a big fan of video games. She didn't grow up with them. She didn't uh, have them in her life. And so she doesn't know the first reason why I'd be particularly excited about getting a gaming system. I played lots of video games growing up, but... She is still willing to make it happen for me, and so for that, I, I'm so thankful. It's been a long time since I've gotten a new video game system. I used to play all the time growing up, but I think sometime around my 20s, probably around the same time that I started spending more on gifts than I got back in gifts, I also stopped gaming as much. Uh, I haven't bought a new system in a long time. I, I haven't really had time to sit down and play games in a long time. Life gets busy. Life gets in the way, you know, but... One of the things I liked about the Nintendo Switch is you can play it anywhere. It's a portable system. You you can play it in front of your television like you do most video games, but you can take it on planes with you. You can take it when you travel. If you have a half-hour break wherever you are, you can game. And so that works out really well for me in my schedule. I do a lot of work for a lot of different clients. I'm always out and about. I'm always traveling. I don't have a lot of time where I'm just sitting in front of a television at home where I can just play for hours on end. But I'm always somewhere where I have a free half hour where I can just get down and play some Legend of Zelda or something like that. So I feel like the Switch is going to fit in my life. So I'm excited for Christmas to get this in my life. And if you are a fellow Nintendo Switch player, 
because I know I'm kind of behind the curve on this. I know a lot of you are like, God, you're only just now getting a Nintendo Switch. Well, yeah, man, I'm a busy guy. I don't have a lot of time to, to get into these trends when they first happen. So you probably already have this game system. And if you do, let me know on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R what you think of it. And let me know if you want to play online sometime. I'm looking to kind of build my online gaming uh, colleagues. I'd love to play some games with you just... Go, be gentle with me. Go easy on me. It's been a long time since I've picked up a game controller of any kind. So whatever game we're playing, I'm going to suck at it. And so I, I hope that you will give me some time to appreciate the learning curve. And, you know, don't just call me a noob right away. But yeah, the people who listen to the show, you're all nice people. I'm sure you will welcome me back into the gaming community uh with time and and you won't you won't just make fun of me right away so i appreciate that but happy holidays to y'all you can follow uh the break the business podcast in many different ways rate review and subscribe to us on our four platforms itunes soundcloud google play and stitcher we really really do appreciate those rates and reviews folks they really help move the podcast forward help expand us to a wider audience and the subscriptions help too Uh, They help me because subscription numbers help promote the podcast, and it helps you too because you hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you listen to podcasts, whether it's iTunes or SoundCloud or anything like that, and then on Sunday, when the episode's ready to go, boom, it goes right into your phone or wherever it is that you consume podcasts, and you don't have to look around for it each week. You know it's going to be there for you, and you'll have some time to enjoy it. So please make that happen. Rate, review, and subscribe to the Break the Business Podcast. And be sure to contact me as well. As I said before, you can follow me on Twitter, at Ryan, K-A-I-R. And you can like the Break the Business Podcast by going to facebook.com slash break the business. And I want you to email us too. I find that the podcast is better and better When you guys provide your input, whether it's a question about your music career that you want us to answer on the air, or whether it's just a topic that you want us to talk about and you let us know over email, or if there's just something going on in the pop culture world that you want us to talk about, when you email us, when you contribute to the content of this podcast in some way, it makes the podcast better. So send us emails, breakthebusiness at gmail.com. That's where you find us. That's breakthebusiness. At gmail.com, I also take questions for the podcast on my Twitter, at Ryan K-A-I-R. And speaking of Christmas, speaking of the holidays, I mean, we're going to talk about the holidays and we're going to talk about gifts. And you're looking for a Christmas gift to get for a musician in your life. You could do a lot worse than my book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. It's available in paperback. It's available in ebook. It's available in audiobook. You can get it on Audible. I know that for Audible, I, I've had some trouble with this myself. I, I've tried to get audiobooks for my friends and stuff for Christmas over this holiday season. Not my own audiobook. That would be kind of a jerk move. Like, here's me. Merry Christmas. I try to get people other audiobooks for Christmas on Audible, and I know Audible is not so great about you just gifting audiobooks to others unless they already have an Audible account, so that's kind of tricky. But if somebody already has an Audible account, you can get Break the Business for them on Audible, a great audiobook that uh, uh, I put together is uh, author-narrated and if they just love having that book in their hand, you can get the book in paperback, or if they have a Kindle or something, you can do it on audiobook. Just go to Amazon.com, and you can get that book for 
the loved one in your life, the musician in your life, in whatever platform they desire, and I'm sure it'd be a very appreciated Christmas present for them. Our guest in the next segment, so excited to talk to Holly Mayer. She is an indie singer-songwriter from Nashville, one of my favorite cities in the whole wide world, and she's going to talk to us about a group called the Other Nashville Society. This is an organization that is dedicated to creating opportunities for the non-country music artists in Nashville. And there are a lot of those kind of creators out there. I know people think Nashville, they think country, but there is a fantastic emerging non-country music community in that city. One of my favorite guests that we've had on this podcast, dear friend of mine, Mary Jennings. I got to get her back on the podcast, by the way. She's a non-country artist in Nashville. She's incredible, and uh, she'd probably be a great person for this, the other Nashville society. So we're going to talk to her about that organization because they do a lot of great stuff for independent creators. And I also want to talk to Holly about her own music career as well. She's gotten a lot of her music placed in the commercials of some really prominent brands. She's done commercials with Ikea and with Nutella and so many others, and while I have her on, I, I'm going to try to pick her brain and see if we can get some tips from her on how artists like you can find those kind of opportunities that she's found. That's really interesting. Obviously, getting sync placements is kind of the next frontier for indie artists. More and more, I am seeing so many indie artists like you paying their bills by getting their songs in TV shows, in movies, in commercials, in video games, there's a huge market for sync placements for indie artists. So anytime I can have an artist on who has figured out how to crack that code and get sync placements for themselves, I always want to talk to them about it and I want to share that information with you. So that's why Holly Mayer is coming on in the next segment. The other Nashville Society, we're going to talk to her about that. We're going to talk to her about how she gets all these great sync placement opportunities. It's going to be a great interview. Do not go anywhere. But before we bring Holly in... Oh, I got to talk a little bit about net neutrality. We, we teased this a couple weeks ago, and we got to talk about it again because it happened this week. That thing, that thing that we were afraid was going to happen, that thing that looked like it was going to happen, that thing that we had every indication was going to happen, well, it happened. On Thursday, the Federal Communications Commission voted to dismantle net neutrality regulations. These are the regulations that prevent Internet service providers from prioritizing some forms of Internet content over the others. It was a close vote. It was three to two. It was uh, right on party lines. And Chairman Ajit Pai was the deciding vote. And this was basically his plan. He spearheaded this. He's been the face of this. And frankly, he's taken a lot of abuse. And look, I'm no fan of Ajit Pai. If you've listened to this podcast, you know that I don't like net neutrality. I've talked about how it hurts indie artists, and I'm no fan of the policies of Ajit Pai and what he's doing here. But I mean, he's I've seen some nasty stuff said about him on the Internet, written about him on the Internet. Anybody who's making threats, knock it off. That's not how we do things around here. All right. We disagree with him. I don't like his policies, and I have some very choice words for him in what I'm going to say this segment, but don't make it personal. Don't hurt. Don't, don't do things that are going to hurt this person. Don't, don't, don't attack him. All right, we, you, you got to be better than your opposition. If, if, that's, if that's the approach you're taking on social media or how you're comporting yourself on the Internet, knock it off. All that being said, I'm about to—I got some choice words for Ajit Pai and for this because, um, yeah, this stinks. This thing's real bad. 
This stinks real bad for indie content creators. We talked about net neutrality a couple weeks back, but now the votes happened. So now we got to talk about this again. It, it happened this week on Thursday. And this move hurts independent musicians. Getting rid of net neutrality hurts indie artists like you. Because the whole foundation of this new music industry, this industry where independent indie artists like you can now thrive more than ever before, is based on the notion that all content on the internet, whether it's from an indie artist like you, or it's from a big-time artist on a major label, all of it has to be on the same playing field. That's the, that's the whole foundation on what this new music industry is based on. If you get rid of that prime assumption, that prime point of the music industry, everything falls apart. 20 years ago, indie artists like you couldn't succeed the way you do today because 20 years ago, the primary form in which musicians got their music out there was radio. It wasn't the internet. And radio was concentrated. There were a finite number of terrestrial stations. And that finite airtime went to the big content companies. Their content was prioritized over yours. Major label content was prioritized over yours. Indie artists were drowned out 20 years ago. But the internet changed that. Today, with net neutrality, everyone's on the same playing field. Everybody uses the same internet. Whether you're a small-time DIY musician or you're Ed Sheeran, everybody's on the same internet, and that's a big deal. As a music consumer, I can access your indie artist content online just as quickly as I access Ed Sheeran's content. There are no barriers for me to access either form of content just as quickly, just as efficiently, just as effectively. Ed Sheeran's record label cannot pay Comcast more to make it faster to access his stuff and make it slower to access your Bandcamp pages as an indie artist or your YouTube videos as an indie artist or to slow down your websites. And that exists, that state of affairs existed because of net neutrality. But Ajit Pai's FCC changed all of that with this vote this past week. Make no mistake, getting rid of net neutrality hurts indie artists like you real bad. And it is a step toward bringing us back to the industry that we had 20 years ago, where the big content companies, the record labels, can take measures to prioritize their stuff over your stuff on the platforms where music consumers consume music. And, you know, look, and, and let, me, let me say this. The, the people who, the supporters of this FCC vote, you got to watch out for them because they're already trying to gaslight you. It's happening. I've seen it happen right now. It happened quick. They're trying to gaslight you. They're trying to make you think that this isn't a big deal. Don't let them do it. This is a big deal. You're already seeing the gaslighting. You're seeing tweets from politicians that are saying, oh, no, getting rid of net neutrality, it's just going to make ISPs more innovative. But notice, whenever you see those tweets from politicians saying, oh, this is going to make ISPs more innovative, or you see statements from Ajit Pai saying this is going to make ISPs, internet service providers, more innovative... They don't actually say how it's going to make them more innovative. They just sort of say, it's going to. Trust us. But that's gaslighting. 
They're trying to make you think that this isn't a big deal. You have Comcast coming out saying, we're not going to block your content. We're not going to throttle your content. Don't worry. Except, you know, that's just them saying, trust us. If they, you knew they weren't going to do it back when they weren't allowed to do it. So if they don't want to do it, why did they push for this change? Comcast has even come out saying that they support congressional legislation for net neutrality. Well, Comcast, if you like net neutrality so much, why did you fight to change the regulations? Why did you donate money to the campaigns of politicians who want to dismantle net neutrality? You can't say one thing and do another. And in perhaps the highest form of gaslighting that we've seen, you have Ajit Pai himself making a really patronizing video on the Daily Caller, super patronizing, obnoxious video on the Daily Caller, telling people, don't worry that we're getting rid of net neutrality. You don't have to worry because you're still going to be able to do all the things you love to do on the internet after we get rid of net neutrality. You're still going to be able to make memes, he says. You're still going to be able to Instagram your food. You're still going to be able to take selfies with your pets. Don't worry, don't worry. Man, this video... If you haven't seen this video, check it out. It's so, so frustrating. I mean, if you can find it because, you know, they're, it's getting taken down for, you know, copyright reasons. And and let me, let me talk about that for a second. I want to play this video on the podcast now so you can hear the ridiculous things he says. But the problem is I can't, I can't play this video because his video violates so many other people's copyrights by using music he didn't license. He uses the Game of Thrones theme in this video with the Daily Caller. He uses the Star Wars theme. He uses the Harlem Shake, and at least uh, Bauer, the creator of Harlem Shake, is pissed, and he's suing. This video is radioactive. If I played this video on the podcast, like they'd sue my ass off. My ass would fall off and detach from my body from the sheer force of suing that I would experience. And that's surprising to me because Ajit Pai, he's a lawyer. He went to the University of Chicago. That's a good law school. And he's worked with the FCC for a decade. I assume he knows something about copyright. And yet he was a part of this video and, you know, just trampled on other people's intellectual property. But I suppose it shouldn't surprise any of us that somebody who is so willing to be so cavalier about dismantling net neutrality, a policy that helps creators would be similarly cavalier about stealing the intellectual property of creators. And and what is Ajit Pai doing making this video with the Daily Caller? This is a, and look, I I don't want to get like ideological and political about this, but I mean, that's a conservative website. And that just seems icky to me. Like Ajit Pai is a public servant. He's a, he's a regulator. He's a technocrat. This is somebody who wasn't elected. You know, he shouldn't be bringing a lot of ideology into what he does. And so, I mean, I don't feel comfortable with somebody like that, a bureaucrat, a technocrat, making videos with a website that has an obvious ideology. That feels kind of gross to me. Like, I wouldn't want a regulator making videos in concert with a really liberal website either. That, that's not really what non-ideological bureaucrats are supposed to be doing. So all that just kind of made me feel super gross. But put that aside for a minute. And let's just talk about the content of the video itself. So insulting. So insulting. So insulting. As indie content creators, you should be really mad about this video, and I'm sure you are if you've seen it. He says in the video, don't worry, people. 
There's no need to be upset about losing net neutrality. You'll still be able to make your memes and Instagram your food and take selfies. Well, no shit. <laughs> Sorry for cursing, but no shit. <laughs> Those things are, are done on big content platforms. You know, the people who are upset about this, indie artists, indie creators, they're not upset about this because they're afraid of losing their Instagramming and their selfies. That stuff's not going anywhere. They're upset because they're worried about their businesses. I wish Ajit Pai would not patronize people by making a video that assumes that the internet is merely a place where people just goof around and Instagram their food and take selfies. And that pe all people will care about is that they're afraid of that they're going to lose their Snapchat if net neutrality goes away. The internet is so much more than that. And he knows it and he needs to stop gaslighting people. People aren't afraid of losing their Snapchats. People are trying to run businesses. Indie artists like you are trying to run businesses. You need your Bandcamp pages. You need your websites. You need your crowdfunding pages. You need your YouTube videos. You need to know that these platforms that you depend on for your livelihood are not going to be slowed down because a major content company paid an ISP to prioritize their content over yours. And before Thursday's vote, that was not a concern of yours. But now it will be. And again, I don't want to inspire any kind of vitriol towards Chairman Pai as a person. You know, attack his policies, attack what he's done, but, you know, please don't, don't do that nasty, those mean videos I've seen where people are just threatening him and stuff like that. Let's, let's take the high road here. But what I would say to the chairman of the FCC is that if you truly believe that the way you voted was the right policy for this country and that you weren't just in the pocket of big ISPs, that you weren't in Comcast, that pocket, or you know any of these other pockets of these big organizations, and you just really believe that this is the right policy for the country, then make a video where you talk to the American people seriously, where you take their concerns seriously. People are worried about their businesses and their livelihood. Talk to them about that. Talk to them why and tell them why they shouldn't be worried about their businesses and losing their livelihood and losing their ways to make money. Don't just, don't just make some silly cat video thing where you infringe on a bunch of people's copyrights. Be better. And don't patronize people. And, of course, I, I, I suspect that the reason why he doesn't talk to people that way is that he knows that this could actually hurt the businesses of independent content creators and that they have every reason to worry. And I think you do. Because this stinks. And let me close by saying something that I said a couple weeks ago when we were talking about net neutrality earlier. You are a business as an indie artist. One of the great blessings of the new music industry is that it is now more possible than ever for you as an indie artist to take full control over your career. To be the captain of your ship. To control your destiny. And not leave your destiny in the hands of others. It's all on you. And that's a good thing. But it's also the flip side of that is that you're the boss now. So your job is to run your business just like you create your music. It's not you can't just create a music and not care about the outside world and about the outside business climate. You need to do things that advocate for a better industry for you. You need to fight for laws and fight for policies and elect the people that are going to help your livelihood. And so you need to fight to protect your livelihood. And as much as it sucks that this net neutrality vote happened, 
It's not over. There are still things you can do. Right now, tomorrow, call your member of Congress. Even though the FCC made their decision now, the Congressional Review Act allows Congress to nullify the FCC's decision within 60 session days of the rule being made. So there's still time. And so you can call your congressman, call your senator right now, especially if you know there's somebody who might be kind of on the fence on this net neutrality thing. There are politicians out there who want to force a vote on this now. Get, give them some support. Let your congressman, let your senator know that your vote as a constituent depends on this review happening. Force their hand. And if this doesn't get changed under the Congressional Review Act, take the long view on this. Remember that this happened. Don't have a short memory. There are more elections to come. If this Congress does not affect the change that's going to help your business, if this Congress is unwilling to step forward and protect net neutrality, then make damn sure the next Congress does. Make sure that whoever runs for office, where you are, makes this a priority. And make sure you know where they stand on this. And make sure that your vote depends on who is willing to protect your business. As an indie artist, your voice matters. Particularly when it's combined with the voices of your fellow content creators. And, and, you know, this is kind of an unrelated example, but I think it's a good way of demonstrating that point. The, the point that indie artists, they're strength in numbers with you guys. And when you band together, you can make change happen, and you can make change happen quickly with Patreon, for example. On December 7th, Patreon, which is a crowdfunding platform that many of you indie artists use to uh, crowdfund your own careers, you know, people can... Uh, pay you, you get your you get people to fund your career per every project you make or per every week you make and a lot of indie artists use patreon to fund their careers and make get a regular stream of payments on december 7th patreon announced that it was going to add a service fee to all contributions this really stunk for indie content creators like you it caused a lot of people who were backing artists to leave patreon because Basically, if you were funding an artist to the tune of a dollar a month, Patreon was going to make you start paying something like $1.35 a month, and that made a bunch of small-time donors to a person's campaign drop out, and it made a lot of creators leave the platform. And it was going to be a disaster for indie content creators. But what did you guys do? You let Patreon know that this was bad for your business. You guys just tweet stormed Jack Conte, the CEO of Patreon. You guys, you know, you had email campaigns. You, you made your voices heard. And within six days of Patreon announcing this decision, Patreon reversed themselves. They walked it back. And Jack Conte, the CEO, fully apologized for this, said, we're sorry. We screwed up. We're not going to do this. We were, you guys were right. We're sorry. And by the way, you know, much as a lot of people were hating on Jack Conte for all this happening in the first place, I want to be one of the people who commends Jack Conte for what he did here. Jack Conte's been on the show before. We've talked to him about Patreon before. He was a great guest for us. And I want to commend him because when he gave his apology and said that he was not going to do this service charge and he apologized for it, it was a real apology. It wasn't one of those, I'm sorry if we offended anybody kind of apologies. I'm sorry that, you know, 
we got caught kind of apologies. It was a full on, we screwed up, we're sorry, we're going to fix it apology. And that's so rare, whether it's in corporate America or whether it's in the halls of Congress or wherever, just to see somebody say, we screwed up, we're sorry, we're going to fix it. And so to Jack Conte and Patreon, good on you. You guys have always been a friend of the indie content creator. And so uh, way to way to clean up your mess and to clean it up quick. But what this story shows us is that when you guys, when you indie artists come out and you join together and you make your voices heard, you can make change happen. You can make change happen quickly. Now, granted, net neutrality is a much bigger deal than what Patreon's doing. And getting U.S. Congress to do something is a lot harder than getting Patreon to do something. But the principle is the same. If your voices are loud enough, if you make those voices heard and you let the people in power know that when they come after your business and your livelihood and they come after the level playing field that allows you to be an indie artist in the new music industry, that you're going to fight back. And so... I'm excited to see how you guys fight for what's yours, and you know you have our podcast support, so don't give up. Fight to make this industry the right industry for you. All right, Holly Mayer coming up. Keep on listening to the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time, my new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. She is a Nashville-based indie singer-songwriter who joins us on behalf of the Other Nashville Society, an organization dedicated to creating opportunities for Nashville's non-country music community, including its independent creators. You can find out more about their work by visiting theothernashvillesociety.com, and you can find out more about our guests' music by visiting www.hollymayer.com. That's Holly, H-O-L-E-Y, M-A-H-E-R.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Holly Mayer is on the Break the Business podcast. Hi there. Hey, hey, Holly. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, I'm intrigued about everything you got going on. And I'm particularly intrigued when I heard about the other Nashville Society. And, And I will confess, I had not heard about this organization until it was brought to my attention it was established yeah. earlier this year, and it seems to be dedicated to giving support to the non-country artists in Nashville. I've always wondered this. Can you give us an idea of how large the non-country music community is in that city? Is it a sizable group? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, a lot of people outside of Nashville um, don't realize that we have really evolved into a city that's much, much larger than our original you know, roots in country music. Uh, And that's kind of what we're here to try to do, to um, expose this community, this other Nashville community um, of amazing pop and rock and singer-songwriter music. There's an amazing hip-hop scene here. There's all kinds of stuff. And um, a lot of people just still don't know that it's happening. So our job, we see it, uh, as we see it, is to kind of connect people within that community 
um, give people uh, like a social playground to meet one another and get things rolling and to just let people know, hey, man, like this is what's going on over here in Nashville. I love it. So what are some of the specific initiatives that the other Nashville society does to kind of bring this community together and broadcast its existence to the outside world? Yeah. Um, so I kind of describe it as somewhere like between a social club and a trade organization, maybe. Um, we do four um, big mixers a year, once a quarter, that are just kind of getting our members together uh, at a bar or a venue or something and just letting what intrinsically will happen in that room full of such talented people happen. Um, and then we also do um, a few talks. We call them tons talks where we invite some amazing people in to come and speak about what they're up to in their careers and just tell their stories. So it's learning, it's socializing, um, and it's hopefully like kind of matchmaking between uh, industry professionals to get some really cool stuff going on. So if I'm going to be down with your organization's lingo, I got to go with tons, right? So we... yeah, that, that's, yeah, that is what we've been calling it, tons, the I other love national it. society. Okay, cool. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that then. I, and I know tons has wanted to pay particular focus to helping out the indie artists of Nashville. Uh, mm -hmm. Would you say your work does a lot of, or does your organization do a lot of work to help out that community specifically? Absolutely. Um, I think that there are just a lot of us, um, myself included, uh, for the most part. I, I don't have a record label for my own music. I do um, mainly licensing. So I have um, a licensing company. Uh, and that is pretty much my entire team. It's me and the team at that company uh, handling my career. And so there are a lot of people in my in a situation similar to mine where our teams are, are small or maybe their people are just starting out where doing really cool stuff in home studios and it's all the, the ball is entirely in our court, you know? Um, so I think that, yeah, anything we can do to support a music community here in Nashville would inherently support a lot of independent artists. Cause we just happen to have a lot of those people floating around. That's true enough. And it's interesting. You, you bring up that you're, you emphasize in your own music career, a lot of licensing, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. Folks, if you don't know Holly, her music has been featured in a lot of different ad campaigns for some pretty prominent brands, including Ikea, Cheerios, and Nutella. And I know a lot of listeners out there are intrigued by this because um, they would also be similarly interested in pursuing those kind of opportunities and maybe basing mm -hmm. more of their own career around sync placements. So if artists ever come up to you and ask for tips on how to get their music into ad campaigns, uh, what would you tell them? Yeah, um, I get that question a lot. <laughs> um, I'm going to age myself a little bit here and tell you that my licensing company found me on MySpace. <laughs> what? A long time ago. Whoa, whoa. Yes, 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 yes. Did, you, did, did your page like play your own music like when people went onto your page? Because I know back in the day, the, the all, all the MySpace pages had songs attached to them. Like the autoplay? Yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that it did. It was, uh, it was very <laughs> colorful, this page. Well, they mine. had to be. That was sort of the rule. Yes, I was very proud of it. Yeah, you, you couldn't have a MySpace page unless, like, when people open your page, they immediately got a headache looking at it. Oh my God, it was it was a design <laughs> disaster. MySpace, <laughs> yeah. all right. Uh huh. So they um they I guess had been watching me um after college and um waiting to see what I would do. And after my first record came out, they um they sent me an email uh, and 
wanted to just get things started. So I, I guess I, I always struggle with what to tell people to do here because a lot of the things just kind of fell into place for me. Um, but I worked really hard and I, I studied um, the artists that were doing well in licensing uh, when I was writing my own music. Um, I've always known that I really wasn't built for the road. I'm not like a road warrior. I don't love to be uh, in the spotlight or traveling too much. And so being a musician, it's like, how do you even make a life for yourself if you're not um, built for that sort of thing? And uh, so when I discovered licensing, I realized that's where I wanted to be. And I, I've been shaping my career in that way um, since I very first started writing music. So did a lot of researching and listening to music that was successful and trying to figure out what um, people were doing in that realm that made it work. Gosh, that's a really important message for artists to hear because I, I imagine there are a lot of artists out there who are like you, who don't, you know, who, who who don't love the live performances, who don't love the idea of having to be on the road, but love to create and think that they can create, you know, things that other people will enjoy. And I'm sure what they're hearing from you is that there's a way to make a living if that's the yeah, way you are. So absolutely. when you write songs, it sounds like, you know, you know, cause I know a lot of artists who write for sync placements and for campaigns, they sort of just write music. And then as an afterthought, it, Oh, it just happened to be something that was good for an ad campaign. But it sounds like you at least devote some of your time to trying to figure out what these ad campaigns might want to hear and writing yeah. for them. That is absolutely correct. Some of my time, not all of it, because otherwise I think I would go crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's kind of what makes my licensing company, Sorted Noise, uh, Sorted Noise, um, so different from other licensing companies out there, is that rather than me creating music on my own without the involvement of my licensing company on the creation end and handing it over to them and saying, okay, show me what you can do with this, which is how many licensing companies operate. Um, we kind of work hand in hand from the beginning. So they'll give me a, a brief that they've seen come in from a television show and we can actually create custom music. And, um, you know, we're kind of working in the opposite direction than most other um, musicians and licensing companies out there. And it's, it's been very, very helpful um, to have like a hand-in-hand -hand relationship with companies like Ikea, they, these that's how I ended up getting those um, placements because they were able to hear my work tapes from the very beginning and have input. Um, so it's a, a very different way of going about things, but I think that's what makes us really special and successful. Gosh, that's interesting. What do you, as a songwriter, what would you say is easier for you? Is it easier to write like when you get a prompt from a, an ad company or is it easier for you to write like an original song that's just coming from a blank sheet of paper that you're writing yeah. for an album? <laughs> yeah, the, it, I would say, hmm, it kind, <laughs> of yeah, it kind of just depends on my mood, I guess. Uh, there are certain days where starting from a blank sheet of paper is the most difficult thing ever. Um, and in general, I think it is easier to have um, a brief or at least some made up parameters. Um, I call it like, uh, trying to write a song without having any idea where you're going is like playing darts with the lights off. <laughs> you have absolutely no idea where the board is and you're just throwing things and hoping it sticks. Right. So for me, giving myself a brief, even a made up, um, assignment helps me to focus and shows me like where the target is. And it, 
just takes a lot of the decision making that I would normally make. It makes makes it um, a little easier. There are only so many decisions that I can make, so it's a little narrower and easy to see where I'm going. Uh, playing darts with the light, lights off. I might have to steal that for my next book. That is uh, well articulated. And forgive me here for making you take a step back, but I'm just so intrigued by this. Can you walk yeah. me through a little bit more as to what it is that you do with your licensing company? Is this just a company that creates yeah. music? Do you actually work to creating relationships with these brands? Like where are you in the supply yeah. chain of all of this? Cause this, I, I, I must confess, this isn't as something that I've heard artists do before. So this is kind of interesting right. to me. Yeah. I'm not sure that it's happening anywhere else to be honest, at least. And I've spent almost 10 years in the licensing industry and I know a very few people that do the things the way that we do. Um, well, not that I'm trying is, to create competition for you or anything, but I just think <laughs> this okay. is fascinating. <laughs> no, I'm very proud of the way that we do things. Um, you know, if more people did it, it could only be better for everyone. Um, anyway, I'll try to explain. Uh, <laughs> it is kind of a long thing to understand. So most licensing companies, they, they sign, um, they song, they sign singer songwriters and they add their existing catalog to a library of music. And so when briefs come in from an ad, um, agency, or from a television show, they'll read that brief and they'll be like, all right, Vampire Diaries is looking for a sultry song for season four or whatever. And so they'll go through their catalog, see if anything exists, and they'll send everything that they think might work. Um, and that's kind of casting a super wide net. It's just like shooting with the lights off, you know what I mean? So that happens sometimes, and a song might be like just a hair wrong. Yeah. It like, doesn't quite it, fit. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the most heartbreaking thing. When someone says to you, Oh my God, the lyrics were so perfect for this, but the production was wrong or there were too many background vocals and you, you know, and it doesn't, you don't have that opportunity to change anything because it's moving so quickly and no one expects you to be able to change anything. That's just how things work. They take things that are done. Right. Um, so we at sorted noise wanted to go about this in a different way. And I was lucky enough to be one of the very first artists that they signed. And so I've been involved in their process step by step for a long time. And part of, you know, kind of ironing out the kinks in this plan, really. <laughs> um, so instead of going in that direction, or I should say in addition to going in that direction, because we do um, pull from existing catalogs as well, we also spend a lot of time building relationships with individual um, music supervisors. Uh, that entails going to conferences and setting up meetings. And um, I just got back from a vacation in London where I sat down with a publishing company and explained all of this to them and uh, hopefully built a relationship with them. And uh, we just let people know that this is what we do and this is what we can do. And um, we keep our ears to the ground. And people will come to us when they realize that it's a possibility that um, we can create something fully custom for them. And that's what happened with Nutella and Ikea. And uh, we were able to be with them step by step through the entire process of the creation of those songs. Um, and it works so well that for the Ikea commercial, um, I had three songs, three original songs of mine end up in the top five choices out of thousands of songs that they listen to. Um, so that just shows you that the custom route must be working better than uh, just like I say, throwing darts in a dark room. Sure. I'm just, you know, trying to find something that's already been created and sort of fitting it into the whole that is this music. Right. That's man. That's a really cool idea. Kudos to, to you guys. <laughs> that's, that's, that's fantastic. Um, 
All right. I think I'd be doing uh, tons, a bit of an injustice here if we didn't also <laughs> talk about them. Um, yeah. So, well, l- let me ask you this to kind of bring us back into tons, but, you know, through the lens of what you're doing. So you're an indie artist in Nashville and you are, you know, part of this other Nashville contingent that doesn't work in country primarily. Can you talk a little bit about what are the unique challenges that you've had as a non-country artist in Nashville in trying to make it in that city? And can you give us an example of some particular obstacles you've had to overcome? Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I went to Belmont University here in Nashville, Tennessee. Great school. They, Great school. Yeah, wonderful school. Mike in Kirk fact, College I looked at your business. alma mater yeah. when I was looking at colleges, um, University of Miami, am I right? That's right. Beautiful campus. Um, but ultimately, I fell in love with Belmont and ended up coming here. And this was back in the day when no one really understood what licensing was. Um, the indie pop female singer-songwriter trend was just beginning. Uh, nobody had heard of Ingrid Michaelson. Although <laughs> I was, I she blew my mind because I saw her very first, um, uh, what was it, Old Navy commercial where she did the sweater song. Yeah. Um, and I was blown away. Um, listening to a song that sounded like something could like on the radio and not just a jingle. And that was the very first time I heard an original song on a commercial that really affected me. So I was going to Belmont when no one knew about any of this stuff. So most of my courses, my vocal coaches, my vocal classes, um, they didn't really know what to do with me vocally. Um, I didn't have anyone who could teach me about licensing in my music business courses because the courses didn't exist. Um, I hope they exist now. (laughs) (laughs) But if not, they can call me. Um, (laughs) Nice. Yeah. So when I graduated, I had no idea. I knew what I wanted to do, but I had no idea how to do it. Um, No one had equipped me really with these tools. So... Um, I went and had a meeting at BMI, uh, because everyone told me I needed to find myself a PRO and hopefully create a personal relationship with someone there. So that was my first mission, um, to go to, um, a woman, her name is Beth Laird and she's no longer there. She's, uh, running a very successful publishing company with her husband, Luke right now. Um, but at the time she was my PRO, uh, a, uh, A&R lady in charge at BMI. And uh, so I went and met with her, and she was the only person on staff there who had any experience in the indie pop world or knew anyone doing it. Um, So thankfully, she was able to point me towards my producer and to give me a few pointers. But she was literally the only person in town who I could speak to about this. Um, And that everybody else was country, or well, yeah. um, Well, just. it, it, especially at that time, was prevailingly the largest industry in, in the music uh, sector of Nashville. Sure. Um, so people just didn't um, have any connections outside of it. And that's why I think it, uh, tons is so important right now is that I want artists who are in or were in my are in the position that I was in to have more support than I did uh, when I was coming up and trying to figure things out in a very DIY fashion. That's something I really love to see. I always commend the artists who, you know, it's it's one thing to to achieve some success in the industry, but it's a whole other thing that once you achieve that success, to build the bridge for the people behind you to help them along the way. And so that's 
terrific. I commend you so much for that. So how can people, if they're in the Nashville area, become a member of Tons, and what are some of the benefits of membership? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can visit our website, um, theothernashvillesociety.com, and you can fill out our membership form right there. It's very simple. Um, we just ask that everyone is involved in the music industry to a certain extent, um, and especially outside of country music. And our board looks over um, every application, and we want to make sure that the rooms that we're putting together are beneficial for everyone there so that when you walk into a tons event, you are really rubbing elbows with some of the coolest people in town who are doing some really amazing stuff. Um, not only established people who have achieved a lot already, but people who have a lot of really cool stuff going on and might be under the radar. Um, but wow, I love looking through these um, applications and seeing the incredible music that is going to be uh, coming out soon. And it's really exciting. Um, so yeah, the, the, the benefits of membership are really just being able to get in touch with people who are doing what you're doing. And like uh, you go to other, there are plenty of other social organizations in Nashville that do similar things. Um, but effectively they're going to be speaking 90% about country music. So when you come to one of our events, you're going to be hearing information that actually pertains to your career. Um, you're going to be listening to people who have walked a similar path that you're trying to set up for yourself. Um, we recently had a tons talk with, um, some pop singer songwriters from all over the country. Um, Jim Johnson and Brett McLaughlin, who just had an, an amazing, uh, hit with, um, why do I, is it Demi Lovato or Selena Gomez? I think it's Selena Gomez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and Tommy English. Um, it was so amazing to listen to these people in the pop sector. And even myself as a pop um, singer-songwriter, I don't have a lot of opportunities to sit in front of that many people who have done such amazing things in my field. It's really, really special to go to an event like this and know that it's tailored to you. Um, so yeah, we're always really excited to have more people in that room. Awesome. It's a really electric. You can check it out by visiting theothernashvillesociety.com and be sure, of course, to check out all the great stuff that Holly Mayer is doing. That's H-O-L-L-E-Y-M-A-H-E-R.com. Holly, this has been a treat. Before we let you go, do you have any last tips that you can share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Absolutely. Um, I say research, research, research. Um, and you're sitting right here listening to this podcast. So obviously you know what you're up to. Uh -huh. Um, <laughs> the internet is an incredible tool. You don't necessarily even need a college degree. Sorry, Belmont. I said it. You can learn <laughs> everything you need to know on Google. You can email people like me. You can sign up for organizations like tons and you can learn everything you need to know on your own and just kick. Oh man, they're butt. never going to let you give the commencement address now. No, they are not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Holly, thank you so much for joining us. Don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again real soon. That would be great. Thank you, Ryan. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks.
Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Holly Mayer for joining us in the previous segment. What a delight. You can check out the Other Nashville Society, that organization she was talking about, by visiting theothernashvillesociety.com. And be sure to check out her own music, too, because I've been listening to it, and it's been a delight. We didn't have time to play any of it on the show, but trust me when I tell you, she is a fun listen She's got the indie pop singer-songwriter acoustic stuff that's just right in my wheelhouse, my favorite kind of music. And you can check her out at hollymayer.com. That's H-O-L-L-E-Y-M-A-H-E-R.com. And probably while you're just checking random stuff out on the internet, you might want to visit that company she was talking about, sordidnoise.com. I've been checking out their website. I really loved, loved, loved the stuff that she was saying about sync placements and, um, you know, how she's able to make a career out of that and how her company sorted noise puts a whole other spin on sync placements because they make music purposefully for sync placements. They provide curated and customized music for commercials, for, uh, movies, for things like that. And I just think that's so fabulous. What a cool idea. You can check that out at sorted noise. I was emboldened by that. In the first segment, I was talking about how I was excited to talk to Holly because of her success in getting sync placements. And I, and I asked her, how does she, how do you get these placements with Ikea and Nutella and everything? And I thought she was just going to give some answers about working hard and networking, but no, she had this whole company that she works with and the advice she gave was great. And I learned stuff I didn't know before. So I just, Loved it, loved it, loved it. I want to have her on again more and more to talk about how she does this because it really fits into a broader theme that we talk about on this podcast all the time, which is there are so many ways for musicians to make money with their music in the new music industry. There's so many paths to success. In the old days, there was one path to success as a musician. Record music, go on tour, hopefully you sell a lot of records, hopefully you make a lot of money on tour, That's it. And in this new music industry, there's so many ways to make money. There's so many ways to find your success. You can do that model. That model's still there. You can, you can record music. You can make albums. You can tour and support those albums. That's that tried and true methods exists, but you can make your money on Patreon, especially now that they've (laughs) fixed their model and, and didn't implement that new service charge. Uh, You can crowdfund on a platform like Kickstarter. You can Perform gigs online using platforms like Stage It and Concert Window. You can use Twitch for your online streaming. You can do sync placements the way Holly Mayer does. And a lot of musicians were actually emailing me this past week showing me the same article about iTunes or Apple that saying that it was going to get rid of its iTunes store by 2019. And I don't know if Apple's going to do that or not. We don't have any official statement from Apple. These are just sources. But I do think that the iTunes store is going to, going to go away someday. I think it is on borrowed time. I think the days of downloading music per song are numbered. Just as, you know, the days of buying music on CD are long gone, I think downloads are next. I think we're going to become a streaming industry, and I know that frightens a lot of artists. They're thinking, oh God, another revenue stream is closed off. Another way that I made money is gone, and... What I would say in response to that is, I mean, yeah, you should be worried and you should plan accordingly in your music career. What I would tell you is that what Holly's experience is demonstrating 
is that every time another revenue stream closes in this music business, it seems that two more open. There's the ways that you can find success in this industry are growing and growing. So even as you're losing these old models, even as CD sales goes away, even as downloads go away, there's more stuff out there to take its place. You need to be innovative and find these platforms. You have to be flexible and nimble and be willing to change the way that money comes in for you. And if you can do that and do that well, there will always be a place for you to succeed in this industry. I guarantee it. Holly Mayer, thank you so much for joining us this week. And thank you all for listening to the Break the Business podcast. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.